This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey there. Happy Tuesday. It's The Hash. You're watching us here on Coindesk TV. I'm Zach Seward. We got Ben Schiller on the show today, and we got Wendy O. Going to be a good one. Let's do this thing. Wendy's going to start us off with a markets update, including some Fed pronouncements, I believe. Wendy, take it away. I'm not excited to talk about the story. I liked my previous story, but I got this all day long because it makes me sad for the underdogs. Fed Chair Powell says interest rates are likely to be higher than previously anticipated. He cited data earlier this year showing that inflation has reversed the declaration. It slowed at the end of last year, and that's because people, well, I don't think inflation has slowed down, but people just aren't able to spend money. He warned of a tighter monetary policy ahead to slow a growing economy and said that the current trend shows the Fed's inflation-fighting job is not over. As far as Bitcoin price action goes, Bitcoin is kind of just holding on to about the $22,000 area. You'll see a little bit of spikes up on the lower timeframes, etc. And I think that we're going to see a lot of stagnation with Bitcoin, or at least that crab sideways action, because we are in a bear market, number one. Number two, we had a bunch of really crazy rumors about different regulations coming out, etc. So this is something I think that we can anticipate for quite some time until we have some volatile news that really dramatically changes the market. Ben, I would love to get your take on this story. Do you think that the geriatrics of the United States of America are doing their job? Well, I certainly don't think the geriatrics of America are doing their job. But I would also question whether there's a relationship these days between Inflation news like this and, and the Bitcoin price, I think that relationship has, has broken down a little bit over the years. Obviously, you know, Bitcoin is supposed to be an inflation hedge, you know, when inflation is going up. Bitcoin is supposed to be going up. And I don't think we quite see that relationship playing out over time. But still, uh, obviously, important news and affects the whole economy. Yeah, Bitcoin definitely trades like other risky assets and risky assets. They live and die. One guy's pronouncement from the Federal Reserve. It is pretty crazy. I just think it's crazy that Bitcoin has become that. I mean, it's not new, right? This is something that we've seen play out time and time again as more sophisticated investors jump into the space. Folks who work at big trading firms tend to view Bitcoin similarly to how they would view tech stocks and other things that might be a bit riskier. And I think that's why we see on these, you know, on these, on these Fed days, significant action. But Wendy, you, you know more. You know more about the charts than I. Take it away. Well, this is just my opinion. I will say that like the local bottom that we've seen recently was about, I think, like $16,000 for one Bitcoin, which that's a pretty good local bottom. Could it go lower? Yes. Could it go higher? Yes, is what it is. But at the same time, I will say that my 401k that I was contributing to when I had my nine to five job is currently in the red. And my Bitcoin investment since 2017 has actually outperformed that significantly. So there's that piece of information. I don't think that Bitcoin is necessarily like a hedge against inflation to an extent, but it kind of is because it is holding a little bit more value than we see a lot of traditional stocks, in my personal opinion. And I kind of feel like it could be one of the best chances that the underdogs of the United States of America have against inflation. Go ahead, Zach. I'm putting you on the spot because I know you have long said on this show that Bitcoin would drop south of 10K at some point. You still have such dire predictions for Bitcoin? And if so, why? Well, because the markets are very volatile and I think that we could see another drop. One of the things that I'm thinking now too, like we always talk about the four-year cycle, Bitcoin halving, et cetera. But now with all the crypto contagion that's happened, we want to kind of take a look at Silvergate. Silvergate Bank did a lot of amazing things in the industry as far as being that big player to give loans and to help entrepreneurs in the crypto ecosystem for Bitcoin companies, crypto companies, whatever that may be. 
and we're starting to see their decline. A lot of well-known names has essentially pulled out of their partnerships or working or having bank accounts over at Silvergate Bank. And I think the impacts of that, if Silvergate does in fact go down, are going to be long withstanding. We're going to see a lot more issues with crypto companies. Crypto companies in the United States of America already have a very hard time doing anything regulatory-wise. And we're going to see a lot more people move out of the country. And I do think that that could impact Bitcoin in a negative aspect, especially as the markets become more volatile. Yeah, I hear that. We do have a little clip from our buddy Jerome Powell talking about inflation. Let's hear it real quick, and then we'll pick up this conversation. Although inflation has been moderating in recent months, the process of getting inflation back down to 2% has a long way to go and is likely to be bumpy. As I mentioned, the latest economic data have come in stronger than expected, which suggests that the ultimate level of interest rates is likely to be higher than previously anticipated. If a totality of the data were to indicate that faster tightening is warranted, we'd be prepared to increase the pace of rate hikes. Restoring price stability will likely require that we maintain a restrictive stance of monetary policy for some time. All right, so Bitcoin soared in its last bull cycle when we were in a low to no interest rate world. Ben, I'm gonna put you on the spot, put on your macroeconomic hat. In a world in which your bank account, your savings account is potentially giving you a nice little chunk of yield, can Bitcoin thrive? What's your take on that? Well, I think Bitcoin's always gonna thrive. And actually, I would argue that this regulatory environment while cracking down on many crypto projects could be good for Bitcoin because you know, Bitcoin carries on regardless of the regulatory environment, less regulatory risk attached to it. It's functioning in the background. So I think the Bitcoin price is set fair. And I think once we see a more favorable interest rate environment and we see more faith in the market, I think it will return back to where it was or somewhere near where All it right. was. And Wendy, quickly putting you on the spot, the sweet, sweet interest in your banking account over in TradFi, is, is Bitcoin going to look as attractive going forward if that's the case based on what Jerome just said? I personally wish that I could close all of my bank accounts in the US. I think that they're predatory. I think they're absolutely terrible. But unfortunately, I'm a mom. I've got bills to pay. I'm not about to renounce my citizenship because I got to keep my kid here for her family. But if I could close my accounts and just operate fully off of crypto and Bitcoin, I 100% would. And the interest over the banks is actually a slap in my face personally. The fact that I get, what is it, 0.01% or 0.03% when they're taking my money and they're actually making a lot more money because interest rates keep going up is just kind of an abomination and it's embarrassment. And it, you know what? That's all I got to say about that before I get too mad. That was good. Bringing the fire. All right, Ben, your story. Take us to DC. This is potentially actually a little bit of good news for the industry. And this was first reported by Punchbowl news outlet that House Financial Services Committee Chair Patrick McHenry, who's a Republican, to join forces with Richie Torres, who's a Democrat, uh, to propose a new bill to narrow the definition of what a crypto broker is for tax purposes. So this goes back a long way to the 2021 bill passed in Congress, the infrastructure bill, which contained a controversial provision that any crypto-related transaction over $10,000 or $10,000 requires the seller to collect information from the other transacting party and to report that to the government. And this was controversial because critics said that it would sweep up uh, not only financial actors into reporting requirements, but also potentially bring in developers, traders, miners or validators, and even end users. And so if you're transacting like an NFT or cash to crypto or even crypto to crypto, over $10,000, then you would have to report that. So the new bill attempts to limit the provision and also limit the type of actors in that transaction from those reporting requirements. So it's potentially good news for the industry. And McHenry and Torres have framed this around uh, keeping innovation 
in the United States, which I think is an interesting thing because lots of crypto companies have been complaining recently that they might go to more favorable legal environments if the US keeps on cracking down both at the regulatory level and also the lawmaking policy making level. So um, that's potentially good news for the industry. And this is something the industry has been trying to fight back against for a while. But this seems like a provision or a new bill that actually has legs and might actually go somewhere. I think this is why you hear from like the crypto regulatory lawyers and lobbying class, why we need law and not regulation. And the reason is that they have the ear of a few people in Congress, right? They have the ear of some people who have been friendly or at least open to hearing why crypto should continue to exist in the US in some form, right? So this is what you hear. You hear people trying to push, okay, we need to push the law. We need to push it on the lawmaker side because Gary Gensler and others within the regulatory apparatus of the US are absolutely turning a cold shoulder to the crypto industry here and now. We see it play out time and time again. That said, Congress right now is like in deadlock mode, right? There's not going to be a lot of stuff that gets passed even outside of the realm of crypto. And I think that's worth entertaining, right? You have, what is it, Kevin McCarthy? It's like one or two people can vote to eliminate him from his leadership role if he runs afoul of them based on the deal that was brokered to get him into that speakership, right? So even outside of the realm of crypto, I think there's going to be a really, 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 really difficult environment for passing pretty much anything in Congress. So I would imagine that the likelihood of this becoming the law of the land is pretty low. But it does speak to, again, what you're hearing from those advancing the regulatory conversation on behalf of crypto is, hey, we need laws. We can't be reliant on regulators such as Gary Gensler to stand up a common sense framework for how this industry should exist in the U.S. So we'll see if this goes anywhere, but it's nice to see at least a little bit of movement. Wendy? My issue is, is I feel like it's so hard for lawmakers to do absolutely anything because we don't really have any guidelines from Gary Gensler. One thing I will say that was kind of a positive that happened in the tragic Voyager case is that the judge basically told the SEC, the bankruptcy court, we have laws that we have to abide by. You don't get to come in and say X, Y, and Z. So I feel like there's been a mockery made in the courts, especially for all the chapter 11s that are happening in regards to the SEC, because the Voyager deal was almost close to being closed and the SEC came in and said no. So I feel like more actions like this of idiocy that we're seeing from the SEC is going to really upset some of these judges that have been in the game for a while and that have other laws that they have to uphold. So hopefully we'll see Congress step in and be like, hey, we need some sort of guidelines. We need to push this through. We need to make it easier for retail to pay their taxes, to operate in this type of environment, whether they make it legal or or unlegal. So that's a good thing. Another thing, too, is that I'm wondering if this will even get pushed out because there's no legal framework to kind of determine what crypto is and what it isn't. And if they push this through and then the SEC or whomever comes in and makes a separate law, they might have to go in and change a lot of different aspects to it. So me, it kind of feels like they're wasting time. And I feel like all the government agencies need to get together and figure this out and then push through some of these tax things. And I believe there was another story that was a positive that we heard in another country. Thailand, yeah. So sort of as evidence of what the US is up against in terms of the competitive jurisdiction competition, you know, Thailand recently is proposing a new law that would allow issuers of tokens to raise money tax-free. So they would be free from corporation tax or, or sales tax. So that's a very favorable provision for companies operating there. So that's something that the US needs to consider as it looks to make policy here. It's not just making it in a vacuum, it's making it uh, in a global environment. If I was a company, I would move to Thailand right away and run my business there because that seems like an absolute fantastic idea. And how sad is that? We can raise so much revenue in taxes, which again, I think taxes are a scam. I'm not with them, but I pay them because I'm not going to go to jail or pay fines or whatever. 
But it's just really sad that we're not utilizing our resources here and allowing people to innovate and having them pay taxes to where that goes to the American people. It's not like we have inflation or we're in a recession or anything, right, guys? Right, right. Yeah, no big deal. This is some, wow, this story from Thailand is actually really interesting because I think like this is the global landscape in which crypto operates, right? Like you can be a crypto company and be anywhere, right? And there's all these sort of like jurisdictional battles and people who are cracking down here, but are obviously like, hey, come launch a token. We'll give you a tax break in Thailand of all places. That's amazing. It's really wild to see sort of this like, I don't know, geopolitical tensions unfolding in terms of who's going to court the industry, who's going to crack down on the industry and where this sort of not huge, but emerging pool of talent is going to go set up shop, build companies, hire people, et cetera, going forward. So for Thailand to step in here and say, hey, we want a slice of the action here in the, in the Asian crypto markets. That's notable, right? Because you're seeing Seoul and Korea become an emerging hotspot. You're seeing Tokyo and Japan sort of loosening its stance, which had been pretty tight to date on embracing crypto firms. And of course, Hong Kong, which I think has made a lot of news by uh, you know, issuing a framework for licensing some crypto companies. So Thailand tossing its hat in the ring. It's going to be interesting to see who lands where. I don't know. Ben, any thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, this is something we've been hearing a lot that Asian countries are going to benefit from the crackdown here. That, you know, as you say, you know, these companies are very mobile. They often don't have, you know, Binance barely has a headquarters. It doesn't have a headquarters. You know, why should it deal with all the quote unquote crap in the United States when it can just up sticks and, and go somewhere else? Uh, so that's the, that's the world in which we live in. Calling all early stage crypto, blockchain and Web3 startups, teams and builders. Apply to Coindesk PitchFest, powered by Google Cloud, and pitch live on stage at Consensus in Austin this April. Winners will receive two VIP Piranha Passes to Consensus 2024, featured coverage on Coindesk, and an invitation to present at Coindesk's Private Investor Summit, Ideas 2023. Learn more and apply at consensus.coindesk.com slash pitchfest. Let's talk about some DeFi stuff. Let's go to Tender Finance. Not a big DeFi protocol by any stretch of the imagination, but an Arbitrum-based DeFi protocol that suffered from a bit of a hack this morning. And then allegedly it came out that it was a white hat hacker, which is, you know, one of those noble people riding in to battle tests and make sure things are good and then give the funds back. So allegedly a white hat hacker here, and that's restored confidence in this token's price. Again, this is Arbitrum based DeFi, not a ton of TVL, according to DeFi Llama. Currently it's at 2.073 million in terms of crypto assets locked on the platform. It had never been higher than $5 million in US dollar terms. But it still speaks to this stuff all being in beta, especially DeFi experimental crazy shenanigans occur here and there all the time. All right, Wendy, I'm going to toss this to you. It's been a while since we've discussed a DeFi hack. This one, again, not a huge deal, but that sort of speaks to the trend, right? That this stuff is still very much being tested in prod, as it were. What are you thinking here about TenderFi? I think it's just business as usual. I've actually never heard of the project. I hope everything works out. I hope users are not impacted too terribly hard. It was kind of interesting when you said it was a white hat because I thought white hats were supposed to be the good guys, the guys coming in, like you said, saving the day. But again, it's not really something that's surprising or shocking. I still think that DeFi, crypto, Bitcoin, I feel like everything in the blockchain ecosystem is still technically in beta. These are pretty brand new systems that we see that are offering different types of products and services, essentially. So to me, it's kind of a nothing burger. Again, I do hope that the people, the users that were impacted, I hope they're made whole and I hope that we see a happy ending here. But I guess you do have to test these types of things to make sure that they work. And hopefully this project continues to 
thrive if that's what happens in their future. Zach, I saw your hand up though. Yeah, you know, they say that all DeFi TVL is just one big bug bounty, right? And so folks come along with varying degrees of, I guess, moral character and can exploit these things and then ultimately maybe, you know, work with the team to restore the funds with some, you know, fee for their white hat services. Others just go fully rogue. So again, we have White Hat, according to this tweet. We'll see what happens. But it does sort of speak to, again, DeFi being quite experimental, even a few years in. Ben, what are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I mean, I think we can we talk about them being White Hat hackers, but maybe this is just part of the kind of development process. And as you say, this is very new technology and it's open for testing. And sometimes it gets kind of stress tested in this kind of hacking form. So maybe we need a kind of new language for White Hat hacking, uh, maybe it's not hacking so much as uh, user development. I think it's a good thing. I think it's all part of the process. And I think it's all part of these protocols growing up, really. Zach, did it indicate if people were able to get their funds or the users that were impacted at all? Yeah, unclear to me at this point in time. But yeah, that's what it comes down to, right? These are folks who are using this thing. Oftentimes, DeFi is a whales game, right? So this is sort of maybe a calculated risk that some of these folks are taking. But again, in DeFi, in a more mature state, should just be run-of-the-mill people who are looking for a better way to manage their finances. And so when you see exploit after exploit after exploit, you know, let's hope we're working towards something collectively as an industry and not just creating the same mistakes over and over again. It was interesting. I, actually, out in East Denver, I moderated a panel with you know, a smart contract auditor and OPSEC people and talking about how do we make these things more secure, more reliable. Because again, that undercurrent is that more we see this, the more there's a crisis in confidence that this thing can be what its loudest proponents want it to be, which again is bank-like finance on the internet minus some of the predatory aspects of the traditional financial system. So should this be a stepping stone toward getting there? Again, small project here, not a huge deal, but very much part of something that we've seen time and time again in the last three, four years, dating back you know, to DeFi summer of 2020, which really kickstarted a big wave of excitement and interest in the space. This is something that, again, I think, Wendy, like you said, is kind of par for the course. It's kind of table stakes for a lot of these protocols as they find their footing and start attracting users. But again, it's something that I think the space has to be a bit more diligent about. I don't know. Last thoughts on this one, Ben? Oh, Wendy. Perfect. I was just going to give a little tip and trick. If you're somebody that's like brand new to DeFi, even if you're experienced in DeFi, just remember, don't use your entire stack to deal with loans or to play around with DeFi protocols. Use a moon bag, use disposable income, use a small amount of money that if it goes poof, you're going to be okay. I feel like a lot of people think that these are tried and true systems and they're in fact not. But I understand the need to want to be able to get a loan and to get it instantly and not have to deal with the banks because banks still do practice redlining and predatory practices like Zach said. But at the same time, these are not the ultimate solution because there still can be bugs and still issues. And I also think paying attention to which chain you're using the different DeFi services on is important Mm -hmm. too. I feel like there's some chains that could be more secure than others. So that's another little tip there. But Ben, final thoughts? Yeah, I totally agree with that. Uh, Obviously, this is very experimental technology and uh, don't put all your money into it, like any crypto really. So yeah, absolutely. All right. Stay safe out there, folks. That's it for the show today. Thanks for being with us on Talk With Tuesday. I'm Zach Seward. That's Wendy O. Thanks, Ben Schiller, for being here today. We appreciate it. We'll get you up to speed here on Coindesk TV. Check us out on the podcast network. A lot of great stuff over there as well. And of course, Coindesk.com, your resource for crypto news. Check that out too. All right. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you soon. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcast at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening.